This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing and a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, thankfully it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Facebook Live, the podcast, as always, can be found on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link to your Apple Podcast feed is right above your video window. Click that, subscribe. All of our shows can be found right there. Red Sox just wrapped up a two-game set against the Philadelphia Phillies, sweeping uh, both of those games and probably taking out the Phillies uh, for the out of the wild card race so in the same boat as us i am terry cushman and i'm joined as always by jeremy schilling and matt clark how are you gentlemen not as good as the energy in your open (laughs) i'm doing all right Uh, just all right not great all right not terrible All right. Uh, welcome to our misery, Philadelphia. You've now been eliminated. Yeah, and uh, their manager might be eliminated as well. Uh, the Gabe Kapler era in uh, Philly could be over with, so it'll be interesting to see who might be targeted for that role. Several, you know, openings should be coming up Yost with the Royals Bochi with the Giants both retiring and who knows if the Mets bring back Callaway and I think there's at least two or three others who knows if uh, David Bell will be back with the Reds and but we do know Alex Cora will be back with the Boston Red Sox what did what did Callaway do to get deserve to get fired besides be a Met well, I mean, he did kind of manage through, a, you know, a pretty good turnaround. I think they were 14-1 and after the All-Star break. But look at it from Brody Van Wagenen's point of view. If the season doesn't get off well, he might have to fire him mid-season at that point. And I think with a lot of moves that blew up, you know, on the part of Van Wagenen, the Diaz experience hasn't been good. They've got their old closer back, uh, Juris Familia. Robinson Cano, I'm not sure that was a, a good acquisition. And a little bit of drama with Syndergaard, you know, lately. So, I I don't know. I just think, it, it, I, I can't rule it out. Let's put it that way. Well, 
for those looking for a manager, John Farrell's available. <laughs> I would love that. That would be such a Mets move. <laughs> All right, Terry, what are we going to talk about today, bud? Well, I'm going to be honest with the audience here. I'm not used to a lame duck September. You know, I started doing this in 2017 when we were on the verge of winning the division. Playoffs weren't pretty. And then, you know, 2018, obviously a good year from start to finish. So um, not making the playoffs is new to me as a podcaster. And I have kind of learned that uh, creating content is a little challenging with two shows a week. But I think we've patched work together a nice show with a couple of segments. So... We'll start off first by basically giving our, um, we'll each give a major reason as to why the 2019 season was a failure. So sort of an autopsy report. And then in the second segment, we will discuss a bold prediction that we will each give as to what might happen this winter. And Looking forward to that segment, but we'll uh, we'll start with the first one. So, Matt, what's one glaring issue that the Red Sox simply got wrong? Uh, the big one that I saw was just spending the money on guys who were parts for last year's championship um, that, for whatever reason, they felt would be integral parts to a championship this year, uh, i.e., uh, Steve Pierce with a one year, $6.25 million deal, and uh, Nathan Evaldi, four year, $67.5 million deal. Um, personally, I felt like they needed to go after bullpen help. I get why they let Kimbrell walk. Uh, he was asking for what I believe six years, $120 million. Uh, he wasn't worth it. Um, you know, I, I wasn't opposed to re-signing Joe Kelly. Um, it doesn't look like it was a terrible idea to not re-sign him, but the guy I wanted him to target was Adam Ottavino, and he ultimately went to the Yankees for three years, $27 million. So, you know, that $9 million, uh annual that he's getting is slightly higher than what uh, the Red Sox are giving Pierce this year. Um, but they definitely could have gotten somebody of his caliber to be the back-end closer, defined closer for the bullpen for fairly cheap, and the guy's got high strikeout ability, uh, you know, low whip, low ERAs, even playing up in Colorado. I felt like he would be the perfect fit, and they just didn't add to the bullpen and added a couple of guys who were kind of pieces that they didn't necessarily need and and they relied too heavily on what they did in 2018 so uh, i think that's my my big downfall is is the signings that they had this year you actually could have had joe kelly and adam Ottavino for the same price annually that you gave to evaldi but let me just ask this question if the red sox didn't bring back evaldi and just got adam Ottavino. Are we looking at a different situation right now? Are we a little bit more in contention? No. Your pitching, your starting pitching has sucked equally. 
<clears throat> you still got nothing from Evaldi, nothing from Price, nothing from Sale. I mean, it's nothing from Porcello. You you literally you're gonna finish over 500 with one starting pitcher. So actually, a credit to how good the offense has been. Well, let me let me ask it. But a I little. mean that you work. Look, if Aldovino his, I just looked up his WAR. His WAR is two point two. So fine, round up, give him three wins. Three wins. We're still six games out of the wild card. It's not. It's not even close to good enough. Well, I'm not so sure. Pretty... Oh, go ahead. Nope. I was just about to say I'm not sure the WAR really. Um offsets like blown saves so to speak you know i was gonna say the same thing yeah and it's 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 probably right frankly where they have like 19 20 blown saves something like that Uh, 28 i believe let me ask it this way because i didn't i didn't think it through clearly enough just from the start of the season until sale and price go on the dl are are we in contention until at least up until that point? Because obviously we're not with, without both those starting pitchers. But is it a different April through July with an Ottavino guy who could have given us something versus an Evaldi that didn't? Well, my first point would be that just because you have Ottavino, he's had a good year. Um, I think he's like a one. I just had his stats up. He's six and four with a one point eight five ERA. He's pitched in sixty nine games. Uh, he only has two saves and sixty third and a third inning. So he's actually averaging less than an inning per outing. His WHIP's one point three. Eighty five strikeouts in sixty nine innings, which is a pretty good strikeout rate. I'm sorry, but I just don't see that those stats. Like I'm not going to say those stats are going to translate just because he's pitching the ninth at Boston. That bullpen is absolutely stacked. They can rely on Chapman to close games, so he doesn't have to pitch the ninth. So you're pitching the seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth. That's a different ball game. I mean, it just is. And so, yeah, I don't think you could be good. And could you put your beer down a little lighter next time, Wild Card? <laughs> I'm in the middle of a very good take. Um, That's uh, very subjective. <laughs> no, I saw it on video. You slammed your Sam Adams down way too hard. <laughs> Um, I, I really don't know. I Terry, I mean, I do think he'd be successful in Boston, and I do think he'd be successful in the ninth because I do think he's a good relief pitcher. But I just don't see that those stats are translating into the ninth inning where you're you're facing the highest leverage situations and so on and so forth. Now, with that said, yeah, I mean, I so my specifically my um, reason for the failed season is. It's threefold, and it all relates to the bullpen. It's one, an undefined bullpen role. And number one of that, number one, is they never defined a closer, and so you can't, you know, no one walked in saying, the night's mine, this is my mindset, and it's important. And I think, you know, this save stat is overrated, but what's not overrated is having the mindset to pitch the last three outs. It's just not for everybody. I mean, and you can. And Kimbrel has been fame was famous for it in Boston, where he was great in save situations because he was ready for it. He wanted the challenge, and then it was a non-save situation, and he always underachieved. And that the inverse can be true, where people can't meet what's necessary for the ninth inning, which is the highest leverage situation in Major League Baseball, with everyone staring at you, and you got to throw strikes and you got to be on the corners because the hitters are locked in. It's the toughest inning to throw. 
It's the toughest inning to get three outs, and I just don't think Adovino necessarily is going to be a one point, you know, eight ERA in the ninth. Um, but he would have helped with the fighting the <laughs> the closer role, which would have put Barnes in the eighth, Brazier in the seventh, so far and so forth. The second is, um, and wild card, you touched on this, um, the failure to build a competitive bullpen. Um, I, I don't know that you necessarily want to go throw seven million at Kelly and or even nine million at Adovino, but Closers get $17 million, and that's the market. And if you go throw nine in a guy like Adovino and put him in the ninth, you're actually getting pretty decent value, especially if he's going to get you 90%, 85% on save uh, conversions. Um, that is significant savings over what other major major um, markets are paying their closer. Um, so to me, the, the, the failure to build a competitive bullpen is reason number two why this thing just failed. And then the last part is the guys that were put in place just frankly underachieved. And I think we've all said it on this podcast, uh, probably not wildcard because he doesn't have good takes. But, Terry, you and I have said repeatedly that uh, the guys that were relied on, Barnes, Brazier, to pitch the 8th and 9th, probably shouldn't have been in that spot. And as a result, um, you know, we were not necessarily shocked at the level of failure, but... Um, you have to have some – each bullpen, successful bullpen, has to have a mixture of draft guys, young guys, guys that you're paying minimum uh, salary to, defined closer, defined eighth, and then a mismatch of veterans. And this bullpen just didn't have any of it. You know, it was just a total uh, dumpster fire. Um, you, know, you know, it's like a magic trick where you're just pulling cards out of the middle of the deck and it just none of them worked. And then by the time it was absolutely desperate, it did when you brought in some young talent. So, but but the season was done by then. They were too far behind, and and those are my three reasons why this season's failed. Ottavino being signed would have helped with defining the ninth. I don't know that it would have saved the season. Actually, I, no, it would not have saved the season. I just feel with if you had one inning just completely resolved, and, and I guess with Ottavino that would be the ninth. It's just a lot more easier to. It's just a lot more easier to hone in on, you know, Barnes or Workman, you know, in, in an eighth inning, and so to speak. Taylor didn't really emerge until late, so I'm not going to factor him into April or May. But, but it just there's just a, a lot less you know, moving parts to have to deal with when you can, when you know you got the guy for, for the one inning. But can we can we agree, though, right now that Kimbrell on a multi-year deal, let's just say a three-year deal, would have been a failure? Yeah, that would have been a terrible idea. Uh, obviously, he hasn't done anything for the Cubs. You know, I, I think he's been showing signs of declining for a while. Um they weren't even really using him that much in the playoffs if they didn't have to. Um, he, he just wasn't that reliable. Uh, his walk rate was up. Um, every time he had him come in, he had to pull out the EKG because, you know, it, it was a heart attack waiting to happen. The guy was, the guy was not that great last year, let's be honest. Uh, and so for him and his agent to come out and say, hey, we want six years, $120 million, you know, they probably should have been tested for crack, honestly. <laughs> That's a good take, Matt. 
<laughs> what? Yeah, that was a, good, a take. good take. I would. I mean, if any, I liked great it. Take. For crack, great I guess take. it should be wild card. I liked it. Uh, he was he was a top five closer last year. He made the All Star team. Ninth, he was and helped define everything we weren't this year, which was define the ninth inning, which defined it was Barnes typically. Uh, Kelly in the seventh, you know, the because we had the night, we knew who was going to pitch tonight. Now, did he have his moment? He's always had his moments. He's a Hall of Fame closer. Um, he had a period in the middle of the season. I can't believe we're talking about last season again, but he had a period in the middle of the season where he lost command and he wasn't great. Uh, he was he's was a little bit better actually in non-save situations compared to previous years, but still not great in those situations. Uh, gave up a couple home runs, and it, ultimately it kind of looks funny because Sales closing out the World Series instead of what's happened in the past, which is Falk, Uihara, Papelbon. But um, Wildcard, he was an all-star last year. He was a very good player. And frankly speaking, I, I don't know that... Just like if we signed out of Vito, I don't know that signing Kimber would have been the right answer. I will say this. It was never going to happen. We were already over the threshold, the tax threshold. And if you're going to sign somebody, you sign a guy like Adovino at nine and not Kimbrell, who would have taken 17. And he was never going to get it six years, but it's still a bad deal either way. And then the other thing is that when Kimbrell loses it, it's going to be totally gone because he relies so much on a plus fastball. And once it's a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, he's just not going to be the same because he can't throw strikes. And his slider is really just a show-me pitch. May have lost it this year. I, I haven't really seen. I mean, granted, some of it is injury, and and yes, he's only played half the season. But I don't know. I, I think the signs were there. Um, you know, obviously the Cubs went in on it. Uh, they didn't give him the six-year, hundred and twenty he was looking for. But uh, the signs are definitely there that that it's it's slipping and slipping fast. Uh, I definitely don't think that that was uh, that was going to help anything. Uh, signing him, but um, you know that uh, sounded like a bowling ball knocking ears next year. Feet, just so we're clear on what I think that was. Well, Kimbrel was an All Star in 2018, but his second half of the season, especially August, wasn't good, and it just seemed like the leadoff guy was getting on, whether he was giving up a hit or he was walking that batter. Just just wasn't good, and he had a five-something ERA in the playoffs, and then, as Jeremy said, wasn't handed the ball in the final out, you know, of or the final inning, rather, of the, the clinching game. So, and I bring that up because I, I'm just, I just feel like we need to address the, the fact that we didn't replace these guys, and I'm just kind of exploring whether those guys uh, instead of being replaced should have been brought back but i uh, you know not a kimbrel guy here but um one other guy joe kelly who's having last i checked i'm actually pulling up his game log right now um last i knew he was having a pretty good season uh in uh la he's well he's got knocked around a couple of times lately not too bad um, but from like May through July, he was just phenomenal, you know, after a terrible first six weeks of the year. And I'm just wondering, you know, did he improve because he's under a different pitching program or was it a mistake to not bring him back? 
I don't know that he's improved. His ERA is higher. His whip is higher. Uh, less strikeout. Well, he's got more strikeouts. His K per nine is up. Uh, he's got one more win and one less save. So, I mean, he's basically the same guy. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Kelly was that guy that, like, he would be dominant in spurts, and he was damn good in, in the playoffs, let's be honest. He was he was lights out. But prior to that, he wasn't very reliable. It wasn't like he was somebody that, you know, when they first started going to him in the playoffs, I wasn't like, yes, you're going to Kelly. This is lockdown. It was like, uh but as, a, as the playoffs wore on, he, he was better and better. And, uh, you know, maybe he's a big game pitcher. He, he, he did okay for him. I have no complaints. I missed having him back. I was sad when he didn't come in, if, if nothing else, just for the Jim Buchanan uh, interviews in spring training. I missed him. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem if they brought him and Ottavino back in. I think it makes that bullpen a hell of a lot better. Uh, I would have been okay with Valdi and Pierce both walking and going to other other uh, clubs in the offseason. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Pierce is gone next year. Uh, he contributed absolutely nothing this year. Valdi, you know, we got him back for, you know, another three years, and, and we'll see. But I, I don't know. I, I definitely think that. To Jeremy's point, having having defined closers who have uh, not only defined closer or defined roles, but guys who have proven it in the past. I mean, we're relying on guys like Ryan Bla- uh, Brazier, who, I mean, Brazier had one year, not even a full year under his belt. And, and yes, he pitched great in the postseason and late in the year, but you know, it's, it's very possible that the league figured him out. He didn't have a long track record. So I don't know. That's that's where I weigh a little bit heavier on, on guys like Adovino who do have that track record. I mean, the guy had great numbers out in Colorado where, you know, typically pitcher numbers get inflated. And uh, he did close a little bit. Uh, typically, he was more of the setup man. I, I just think it would have helped a little bit more. But uh all, all across the board, they've basically mismanaged this pitching staff. And that, uh, uh, with, with, with Kelly, I think Kelly had his typical year where he just bombed for a month or two and then was dominant for a period of time. And so his ERA is always a little wonky because when he's bad, he's really bad. And then when he's good, he's, you know, he's like a, a two ERA guy with a high strikeout rate. And so... I think at one point in mid-May, his ERA was like seven and a half. Um, so obviously, you know, he's he kind of is what he is. He's 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 uh, you know we we talk about it with hitters all the time, where he's like, oh, he's a streaky guy. We talked about it with JBJ, where he always has one good month a year. Um, Kelly's for a pitcher, very very streaky, and it's um, it makes for odds statistics at the end of the year now with that said he's going to be pitching in the postseason again and he's a guy i'm interested to see how he performs in the postseason in la uh because i think he kind of has that competitive switch where he's best in the big moments um and we're going to get a chance to see kind of what he is and i'm going to tell you right now the dodgers expected to be in the playoffs they are in the playoffs they're going to get um, a full series. They're not playing in the wild card. So, um, you know, you're willing to pay for guys that, you know, have their, take their lumps in the regular season. If it means you have that type of plus arm in the postseason, and, and he could easily 
be a factor for them making another deep playoff run. Um, you know, I don't understand the, uh, the obsession with Ottavino. Um, I would just say that as far as, and we talked about Dombrowski's failures, I would just say it was poor decision-making to not sign somebody. Ottavino, I mean, whoever, you know, uh, Terry's boy from Washington who signed in Chicago. Um, He's had a terrible year, but... Yeah, I mean, it looks like you're wrong there, but... um, (laughs) Uh, look, I mean, it's one of those things where I think we can all agree that there had to be at least another move or two, probably two. Um, and they obviously decided they didn't want to spend on, on bullpen arms. And it, it's, in my opinion, the number one reason why we're having a podcast about what our failures were and not the ups and downs and talking about the next series. But see, we, if we're not comfortable with Kimbrell or Kelly and, and we're not like necessarily unanimous on either one. Ottavino is is an alternative. Like if we're not comfortable with the the guys that left, I don't know. I just who who was like who was a good alternative then? See, uh, the reason I went Ottavino was he was kind of more of a low cost option. Um, you know, you had Britain. I think Britain went for what uh, almost forty million with an option that uh, fourth year option that took him up to like fifty four. Uh, Robertson went pretty high. Uh, a lot of those guys were going for high dollar because they were closers, and I thought Adovino had closer stuff, closer makeup. You know, played out in in Colorado where things were a little bit elevated. So going anywhere outside of Colorado was probably going to be an improvement. And again, three years, twenty-seven million. That nine million annual was was pretty low for a guy who was a late inning, you know, uh, high strikeout arm. So that's kind of the why I keyed in on him versus some of the other guys. But you know, there were definitely other guys out there that, if you take Pierce and Navaldi out of the equation, they they probably could have gotten two or three high leverage arms and and had one hell of a bullpen going into this year. Would it have helped them? I don't know. It's tough to say. I mean, you look at the Yankees. The Yankees have a crap rotation. Their rotation is trash. Their bullpen's great. Their offense is great. And they're, what, 16, 18 games ahead of us at this point? And, uh, you know, their rotation is nothing to speak of. I mean, granted, this year the rotation was, you know, it's pretty dinged up. But if we have a, a stout bullpen and, and that offense, are we – a lot closer than what we thought we were going to be or uh, what we are now to the Yankees. I think two adding two relievers would have been a huge impact. And here's something we talked about. We don't have to dive deep into this, but is David Price pitching today if the team is in it? Like, Because I think he quit on the team and... I just think I just think the vibe is different. the The motivation is a lot more intense. You know, had we been just a little bit more competitive, you know, the first three or four months. Yes, the answer is yes. He would be pitching if we were in it. And this, the whole conversation just goes to show you that Dombrowski failed this team. You know, and we talked about it at length at last podcast. I'm just going to leave it at that. But yeah, no, that's... he failed the team. He didn't. He didn't give him a chance. And 
you can't go in with the, we've already done the closer by committee thing with the, in the Charrington years. And then you come in and you're not like, we don't know who's going to be the closer. It could be Barnes, but you know, he's really going to face the top three guys. Well, he sucked. He couldn't get the best three guys out. Didn't matter what the, the ooh, almost swore but didn't. Credit <laughs> to me for the restraint. I think we're perfect. So uh, it's far. like happy. It's like happy Gilmore when he didn't do the putter toss. Um, so, but you can't do the close. It's all. It, 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 it's a trickle down effect. If you don't know who's pitching the ninth, you don't know who's pitching the eighth. Everyone out there sitting there like, well, it's the third inning. We could be all in at the game at any point. No, define roles. Define roles, and you could be wrong. You know, you don't have to be married to it. But hey, Barnes, you're the ninth. That's it. Period. End of story. Barnes uh, or Brazier, you're the eighth. Okay, fine. You know, you know, maybe not the best eighth inning guy in the world, but he throws strikes and he knows when he's going to pitch. That's not what they did. They just said, you know, I'll be ready all the time. No, no. Baseball players are creatures of habit. I agree starting with that. Pitchers, starting pitchers want to know when, okay, here's my run day. Here's my short day. Here's my long toss day. Uh, light run, light uh, long toss on day four, pitch on day five. And you just do it like boom, 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 boom. And bullpen guys, just because they could potentially pitch every day, doesn't mean they're not creatures of habit, but they want to know when they're going to pitch. You can't have a guy stretching with the elasto band in the sixth, and then all of a sudden he's in the ninth and he just stretched an hour ago, or vice versa. This is a guy who expects to pitch in the ninth. All of a sudden he's not doing the elasto band. He's just sitting there, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, go get in the game in the sixth. It's like, no, that's not how this works, bro. Like, and I, it's, a, it's a total failure. You have to define roles. Have it be wrong. But define him and let him go do it. And I don't know who made that decision. I doubt it was Cora. I think it was the uh, the baseball ops. Uh, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why Dombrowski's gone. But you have to define roles. You know, it's like if, if you're going to make a mistake, at least, you know, make it go on 100% or, 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 or full speed or whatever the analogy is. But that's not what they chose to do. And it was a dumpster fire, fire all year from day one, especially when the pitching failed you, the starting pitching failed you. <laughs> It was a, 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 a jigsaw puzzle out of a goddamn nightmare. It made no sense. It still makes no sense. It infuriates me, and I really, truly believe that that's how we lost the season. And I don't think one player was going to fix it, whether it was Ottavino or whoever the hell. It just The whole thing was a dumpster fire. I agree with that. Uh, the defined role thing is huge. Remember a couple of years ago with the uh, He's the Ace t-shirt? You know, where everybody had it. It was Buckholz. It was Kelly when Kelly was starting. And all the guys that had the he's the ace. You know, they didn't have a defined role that that year either. I mean, you have to have that. I I hate to say it, but you're right. These guys are creatures of uh, habit. And uh, they want to know what their role is. And, you know, like, like any business, you have to have a defined role. We can't just be like, hey, one day you're, you know, janitorial services. The next day you're a sales guy. The next day you're, you know, the, the head of HR. Everybody's got a defined role and, and regardless of whatever the business is. So, you know, this, this whole idea of closer by committee, it never works. I, I got to be honest with you. It never works. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I just think that they they messed up doing that. They had a closer by committee with a bunch of guys who were unproven and and not as talented as what we had last year. And you know they they tried to roll forward with it. And instead of admitting it wasn't working, they just kept throwing it out there. I mean, um, somebody had a a pretty good stat out there. I, I think um, 
90 some percent of the the blown saves that are that the Red Sox have had this year are have come at the hands of Workman, Barnes and and Brazier. Who are the three guys that they've had as a closer? And I read an article today that was titled that uh, the Red Sox already have an elite closer in Workman. I, I'm going to argue that a little bit. Um I'm not sure Workman's an elite closer. He's he's blown a lot of saves as well. So, you know, when I think elite closer, those are the guys, to, to Jeremy's point, you know, Kimbrell, yes, he was a pain to watch when it wasn't a closing situation. The guy would implode. But when he was closing, yes, he may walk the bases loaded, but the guy got out of it. I mean, he was he was elite that way. He would strike out, you know, the next three guys or do whatever it took to get out of the inning. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of defined roles and making sure everybody knows what they're supposed to do. I, I, I think that helps, and the Red Sox really blew it this year with that. Yeah, I just... The, the Ben Sherrington year, the he's the ace shirt that the starters kept passing around, that was 2015, which was... The second of our two uh, last place finishes after the World Series, and that was Justin Masterson, which was unfortunate because I kind of I'm a huge fan. But Masterson, Porcello came in, and I, I wasn't real thrilled with that. And then Wade Miley, Joe Kelly, and Clay Buckholtz was still part of that uh, rotation, and I just. I would hate to go back favorite, to the, what's that? My favorite part of that, just as an offset, was I think they opened in Philadelphia that year. They did, and and um, which is a band box, famously a band box, and uh, Buckholt shoved it on opening day, and Farrell came out or somebody, I think it was Farrell came out and said, "Are you still worried about our ace?" And then <laughs> they literally got pummeled all year, but for opening day. I just remember like how stupid that was and how arrogant in the face of whoever the, I was that the Valentine year I don't remember but whoever yeah. said it it was just such an arrogant wrong statement of like epic proportions where they just sucked every they come out win one game and it's like one game of 162 and you're like oh you know who's the ace now like hey screw you media screw you fan base for questioning this and then they sucked and finished in last place anyways my uh, thing, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this. Uh, mine's got more to do with the pitching program, uh, pitching coaching. We're behind, and I keep hammering away on the fact that it's literally been 17 years since we've drafted an ace. We haven't, like, nobody has come up from the minor leagues, and I'm a little more hopeful next year for Tanner Houck and some of the relief arms that, that are coming up. But the one of the huge priorities, I hope, for the next president of baseball ops or general manager, whatever they decide to go with for a title, I hope that's a big priority because it's getting harder and harder to sign, you know, certain guys and there's not a ton of options this season as far as free agent signings and even though we have money coming off the books, I, I don't know if we're going to want to go crazy immediately, you know, before we fully assess where we are and 
and you know get our priorities in line or whatever so i think the best way to offset that is to just get some smart baseball minds into our organization from double a triple a on up to the major league level I love Daniel Avangie, and it's awesome that he's been with the Red Sox since 1997, but I don't think he's the guy going forward that's going to come up with solutions for a struggling pitching staff. And we haven't really talked about the fact that Sale and Price, while they were healthy, just weren't very effective. And, And one of the big things that they couldn't solve within themselves all season as being efficient and getting getting through at bats without getting fouled off, you know, to death and and you know getting their pitch count up to 80 or so by the end of the fourth inning. So they need to take a, a hard look at, at that area as well. And uh, I just, one of the things that scares me about this, I know we're not really going to get too far into the uh, GM discussion on this uh, episode, but uh, in an Alex Spear article that just came out a few hours ago, it he says that the Red Sox want to return to a more collaborative front office where where ownership is very active in you know, roster decisions. And that scares me. That's like a return to the Ben Sherrington era, you know, where I I never really felt like Sherrington had a lot of authority in the front office during his tenure there. And I think, I think when Theo left, you know, ownership wanted a bigger, a bigger spot at the table and and there was no process and Alex Spear mentions this there was no process in in searching for Epstein's replacement they just went with Sherrington and didn't exactly hand him the reins so I can't see John Henry and Tom Warner outsmarting Jeff Lunau, Andrew Friedman, Alex Anthopoulos, Brian Cashman if you will I just can't I can't see that happening. So, uh, all Terry, of, you forgot to say top three GM, Brian Cashman. Oh no, no seventh on my list. Seventh, to which very few Yankees fans objected <laughs> to. So I don't know if that's their present frustration with their own pitching staff, which doesn't seem to be built for October. But um, uh, I could just be worried about having to play meaningful games. Uh, Yankee fans can't read, Terry. Yeah. It's not funny to make them. A lot of them probably are illiterate. You're right. That's another great take by Wildcard, by the way. Legit great take. Um, two. Two, two in one night. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh-oh. Is that, is that for me or Wildcard? <laughs> Wildcard. Oh, Wildcard. I thought that one was mine. That's, uh, that's fun. So, just to reiterate, you know, if they're going to go to the collaborative front office where ownership's going to have a much bigger say, I doubt they're going to be smart enough to look at the infrastructure within their pitching program from a from a coaching development standpoint, and that's one of my big concerns. So here's what they should do, because this is the direction we're going, right? 
We're not going to define roles in the bullpen. We're not going to define roles in baseball operations, and I don't think we should define roles in the pitching staff. I think whoever feels like pitching on any given day should pitch, and everyone... I mean, it makes no sense. I mean, you're talking about a sport in an organization that always makes sense to have a hierarchy, whether it's the bullpen, ninth, eighth, seventh, sixth, long reliever, lefty one-out guy, and then in the rotation, you're one, you're two, you're three, you're four, you're five. Day off, you skip the five, so you're one, two, three, and four, get an extra start. It's worked. It worked last year. It works on all good teams. That's the formula. And now you're talking about a committee in baseball operations? So what happens? General Manager A, B, and C say, we want to sign player X. And, got, and, and number four, who technically is pegged by management as the number one guy, but a player B. What are they, is there going to be a vote? What are we going to do this by ping pong balls? It makes no sense. And it goes to show you that for whatever reason, the business side of people are have their head in the soccer game. And Roush Fenway and all the other happy horse shit they're involved in. But they're not focused on the Boston Red Sox and... and Building a team the way it's been proven to build a team. And now we're talking about not only is the roster going to be all messed up and wishy-washy, now we're talking about having like a four-headed monster at, at, at baseball operations. It makes no sense. And it really makes me concerned that this thing's not a short-term problem. It's a potential long-term problem. We're going to find out. And the, that Alex Spear article, people should go to it and check it out because he – Really touched on a lot of areas, you know, a lot of different concepts that are going to have to be, you know, agreed upon or, you know, foundations of what they're trying to build. And I just, I don't know. But anyway, uh, 40 minutes in. So let's just uh, shift over to our bold predictions uh, leading off with uh, wildcard. So, my bold prediction is the Red Sox go back to the well, and Theo Webstein is their GM in 2020. Uh, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I feel like Theo is a dude that just, he gets a little complacent if he's been in the same spot for too long. I think that's, you know, the whole monkey suit running out of, of Boston. I think he was trying to get out. I think there was some complacency. He gets bored when he's successful after a while. Uh, he's had success. He already got the the World Series with the Cubs. Now he goes back and res, res, uh, resurrects the Red Sox uh, from, you know, uh, what could be an abyss from Dombrowski's mismanagement, his uh, depletion of the farm system, and just mismanagement of contracts. So, uh, my bold prediction is brass. Uh, the Red Sox brass goes to Theo Epstein and somehow pries him away from the Cubs. Well, I hope I hope you're right, but you're wrong. <laughs> I kind of, I've done a live stream on this. I touched on it in the last episode. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on some Twitter tirade if Theo Epstein, you know, 
comes back to Boston and is the head of baseball ops or a part owner, you know, however it plays out. But I'm still of the opinion where I think his mindset is, is a little bit outdated. He's not cut from the same cloth as some of these other GMs, the, the top three that I mentioned that Cashman was not in, uh, Lunau, Friedman, and Anthopolis. Um, and though that Braves team, don't underestimate that team as at least going to the World Series because I, I think they're better situated for, for this offseason. That's really going to put Anthopolis on the map. I mean, he's built a nice, you know, sustainable team. Uh, and, and then he had the two uh, Toronto ALCS teams back to back. And just a very underrated guy that I, I think is about to be finally recognized as a premier GM. I'd like to I'd like to go in that direction. Um, you know, I got some of the uh, you know Epstein deals. Here, here's a good example. Anthopolis locked up Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Al- Albies for roughly 20 million less than what Jason Hayward is making. Two cornerstone perennial all-stars for at least seven years in Albie's case, and Acuna has options that will stretch his deal out to 10 years. I, I mean, that's... That's a great move by by Anthopolis, huge whiff by Epstein, and the U Darvish deal, not very good. Let me ask you guys this question, because I didn't realize how bad this was until I looked at it. After 2007, Epstein had four full years left in Boston. What was What was a good signing after that? It's hard. You you can't really come up with one. Yeah, that, that is tough. Yeah, and Did so Mike Lowell? no, no, and that's the thing. Uh, well, actually, he did. That that was after the World Series year, actually, and I that contract worked out okay. But he was the World Series MVP on his Marlins contract, and that was the point I was about to make. Epstein did not acquire Beckett and Lowell because that was the ah. monkey suit month where he left, and then. Uh, LaJoy and Shipley were kind of running the front office similar to how the four assistant GMs are running the uh, the current front office in place of Dombrowski. Those two guys made the Beckett-Lowell trade, which sent Hanley to the Marlins. So can't even – it's hard to give, you know, Epstein credit for that. Now, he wasn't spiteful about it. You know, he kind of embraced those guys, and, and Lowell and Beckett were eventually signed two extensions, which I didn't have a problem with. I mean, the Beckett one didn't work out, but at the time, I mean, you still got a few good years out of him. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to ding him Well, it worked that. out in lieu of him once you know that they traded him. The other thing is he got Schilling, which was a – significant catalyst in 04 right and 07 yeah his his pre-2008 stuff were were solid and ultimately we won two world series so 
I guess the the thing that I struggle with with Epstein is he's terrible at bringing in free agents, but he's very good when it came to drafting and developing, you know, certain guys. Because Pedroia, Ellsbury, all his guys, I think he drafted John Lester. Uh, I could be wrong on him, but uh, you know, so that that's his strength: drafting and developing. But free agent signing. Not so good. exactly what this team needs right now, by the way. Also, he didn't re-sign Ellsbury, so he gets credit for that. Uh, <laughs> Cashman, Cashman signed Ellsbury. How about Top that one? GM. <laughs> yeah, I totally whiffed on on the outfield uh, on that last little you know spitter spatter we had. Cashman's a terrible outfield guy. Stanton, Ellsbury. Um, Hicks on on a however many year deal seven, Ugh. yeah. But anyway, I'm just but I won't go kicking and screaming because if that takes the ball out of Henry and Warner's hands, okay, fine. I'll give me Epstein. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Jeremy, what's your uh, bold prediction? Sock signed Garrett Cole. <laughs> That that would be ballsy. Um, um, so it's going to take a shitload of money, and um, we're talking bold predictions here, not lukewarm predictions, Matt. Um, <laughs> he's filthy. He's he's a competitor. Uh, he's continued to get better. I think he would thrive in the market. Um, you'd also be addressing, you know, one of the biggest issues we have, which is. Pitching and and when you do address pitching on like a bullpen, you really have to address it expensively. It, it, they should be in the sweepstakes. Um, there's a ton of money off the books. They're going to trade Mookie. JD may not be here, and you're going to see uh, a slip and run production as a result. You're just not going to be the third best offensive team next year. Take the money, put it into Garrett Cole, and then fill in the back end of the roster uh, as best you can with veteran talent that you can maybe get for cheap like they did in 13 with Victor Reno and Johnny Gomes and so on and so forth. So that's that would be my, my bold prediction is the Red Sox go out and get the best uh, free agent starting pitcher there is, and his name's Garrett Cole. The thing I like about Garrett Cole is he is a bit of a horse, similar to John Lester. Um, you know, Cole is obviously a righty, though, uh, which we could use, by the way, because, you know, Erod, Price, Sale, all lefties. Um I mean, I I don't want to. I don't think we could rule out the Red Sox, especially if if he's not signed. You know, halfway through January, I, I think that kind of plays into the Red Sox uh, hands a little bit. Scott Boris is his agent, so um, that could be a little tough. And he's going to have a qualifying pick attached to him, so I don't know if that's going to limit his market. Um, you know, at all, really, you know, given his talent. So, uh, but he does, like I was saying about Lester, uh, you know, he's got 192 innings this year, should exceed 200. I'm assuming he's got one or two regular season starts left. 200 innings uh, last year, 203 in 2017, only 116 in, uh, in 2016. So probably an injury there. 208 innings for Garrett Cole in 2015. So pretty good uh, record of health. And I think the Red Sox could use a pitcher. Uh, 
who has a good record of health. Uh, that seems overrated. Overrated. <laughs> I mean, where's the fun in that? If they're healthy, don't have any arm issues, don't have any problems. Uh, that's not Red Sox-esque. I think we need uh, guys who are very risky, you know, uh, all or nothing guys. We do have you on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, all or nothing, 100%. So, no, I, I you know, Cole would be a great addition. I, I just see him going to a West Coast team or the Yankees. I think the Yankees will overpay for him. Um, I know his inclination is go uh, to go out West. So, I think one of those two things happens. You know, I'd love to have him on the Red Sox. But given how much they've already spent on their rotation and what they've got there, I just don't see it happening. I I kind of still hate the Yankees' idea because they're, they're in a tough payroll spot as well. I mean, if they could unload Stanton, I don't know if that's possible right now. Um, you know, then that, that could certainly help uh, in that avenue. But if we're talking $35 million a year plus, I mean... I think he's more likely to stay with the Astros. I think they're better, you know, suited to sign him. Probably right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, mine kind of touches in this area, and I had a tweet on this, which got a fair amount of uh, engagements. Uh, probably, I don't know, four or five days ago. My bold prediction is the Red Sox will find a way to trade David Price. And I think the Dodgers is a good uh, candidate for him. Let me pitch it to you guys this way, no pun intended. Um, What's more attractive? (laughs) All right, I finally get to use my sign. Um What's what's more attractive? <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's great. You could you could take on Garrett Cole. Let's say, let's say six years, two twenty, or you could take a flyer on David Price for three years, ninety three million. So you could go a short term risk or. Not necessarily long-term risk because I don't think there's a ton of risk with Garrett Cole, but there's a huge price tag. So I just think for a rotation that's already semi-solid, maybe David Price might be a cheaper alternative. I mean, he's going to be a cheaper alternative, but he's not going to be the better player. It's not even- well, I mean, close. What we, one guy pitches every fifth day, competes his ass off, and and has the opportunity to dominate a player. The other guy is the very definition of soft wild card. You know what I'm talking about. He absolutely under, every he <laughs> underachieves in every possible moment. Uh, he is pathetic with how he handles off the field stuff. And yeah, you may get him for less, but for what? You get a guy directly in his prime who's a Cy Young candidate versus some schmuck who's really good at video games and has 
Well, every can't... single potential physical ailment is on the table every time he throws a pitch. I mean, come on, it's not even close. Keep in mind, I'm talking about going to an already established rotation, and in the Dodgers' case, Walker Bueller, I, I believe, is their ace at this point. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, Kershaw, who's pitching pretty healthy this year. He's uh, had some back issues in previous years, but I still would probably slot him ahead of David Price. So Price is coming into that rotation, you know, as a number three and not a lot of long-term risk. I just think the Dodgers might, might find that a little attractive. Maybe even the Braves, maybe even the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos of the Atlanta Braves traded for him and price was a big part of that uh, you know 2015 you know ALC well he didn't contribute much in the playoffs but he was on that team and finished runner-up for the Cy Young that year pitching the last two months um you know for Toronto and if Anthopolis is willing to give Josh Donaldson you know, $23 million for one year. I thought that was stupid. I just didn't think Donaldson would hold up over the course of a year. It was a risky deal. It did pay off, but I don't know. I just feel like between the Braves and the Dodgers, I can see a fit there. I don't I don't think those are bad, uh, bad places uh, for him to land. Um I just think the money is too much. I don't, I don't see anybody taking it on. I just think the risk is too high, and uh, I think the Red Sox are unfortunately stuck with him. So he'll pick and choose when he plays games. And uh... You're on mute, buddy. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, the money's too... The money's too great for anybody to take him on, unfortunately. And uh, I think he still picks and chooses when he's going to play in big games. Uh, I think that's tough. I don't think anybody's really going to want him. I think the Red Sox overpaid for him. Uh, It was backloaded. And uh, they're basically going to pay for a third or fourth starter going forward with uh, Price. I don't think anybody takes him off the Red Sox hands. I wish that... I really wish they would, but I don't think it's going to happen. Jeremy and I have something in common. We both. Oh God! Ri- yeah, it's we both write in all caps. I'm buckled. Hold on, <laughs> I'm buckling up here. <laughs> what is it, Terry? We both write in all caps. Yeah. Uh, for my signs for the Skype portion of our broadcast, I write in. Yeah, just because, you know, Wildcard has trouble reading. I want to make sure you can see the block lettering. Maybe you should do it in Cran. I would understand it better. Cran is kind of my my go-to. Say that word again. Crayon. Maybe okay. even colored pencils. Brick. Yeah. Me... I usually leave those to my five-year-old and four-year-old, but that's fine. Um, <clears throat> I also don't like being called my middle name. That's not right. It's just not right. Um Look, at the end of the at the end of the day, what do you have to address, right? Because all we're talking about, you're the Boston Red Sox. You have to be competitive in 2020, or the fan base is going to revolt. So, what do you have to do? 
even if you subtract Mookie and plug in player A in right field, you're going to be okay, assuming J.D.'s back. The bullpen, we've already talked, but you can add a guy or two at 5 to $7 million per and fix a lot of your issues, push Barnes back into the seventh, push Brazier back into the sixth. You found, excuse me, you found some things with some of the young guys um, that we've talked about on these podcasts. Um, so I, I really think the depth is going to be better if you find that that eighth and ninth inning guy. Now, <clears throat> what's the only other way you can get better with it? Because you don't need to address the lineup. You're going to subtract Mookie. You're going to add in player A, whatever it is. Just leave that alone. You have to add a starting pitcher, and you can't add a starting pitcher with problems. You have to add a starting pitcher that you can – you're taking away Porcello, who's your 200-inning guy and has been forever. Assuming he doesn't resign, resign for cheap, you have to find the next 200-inning guy. Who's the best 200-inning guy out there? It's Garrett Cole. Uh, it is Garrett Cole. Now, I know you got to pay it. I know you got to pay it, but guess what? You put yourself in that old – that's a you problem. That's a Dombrowski problem. He puts you in that spot because you have Sale, Puppy Poo Soft. Tries to be act tough, but he's not. Price, who at least admits he's soft. Avaldi, softer than everybody. And then Erod, who has had a legitimate injury problem. He's been good this year, has been healthy this year. You cannot add a guy that has health problems or concerns or fleeting thoughts. You have to you have to add a guy with a guaranteed 200 innings because the odds are that between Evaldi, Price, and Sale, there's going to be a breakdown. At least one. Probably more than that. Yeah. So you can't go into the season again thinking you're just going to get 200 innings out of Erod because he's, he, by the way, he's still not going to get to 200 innings. <clears throat> you have to add somebody that's going to give you innings. So what are your options? You could probably sign Porcello at 50 cents on the dollar because he's been so pathetic this year. And I think he would come back for a year prove-it deal to get one more big contract, which maybe you do anyways. The old, uh, You have to go find the next 200-inning guy. How many guys are out there? How many guys How many guys are out there that are going to say, I'll take $15 million? No one. So go get the best guy. That's my thought process. I think it's more likely they re-sign both Porcello and Chassin as their guys and, and hope that somebody sticks. I, I just don't see him. I don't think it's as good as Cole. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think they want to. They're, they're trying to cut back on cash. Uh, let's be honest. This management group is trying to really cut back on the luxury tax and how much they have to pay that's why they're talking about trading bets that's why they're talking about potentially not bringing back jd martinez um they've overspent for guys that aren't that 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 have underperformed for their contracts and uh, i think they're going to look for low-cost options that's why i think that that Porcello and Chassin are more likely than anything else unfortunately I, i would love to see cole in here i just don't see him dropping the money I, I well, think Jeremy's I, right. I, I think he's a great option. I just don't see this ownership group uh, or a new management uh, agreeing to do that. The money's coming off the books. Pablo's money's gone. Mookie's going to get traded. Porcello's money, $18 million a year, or 22 whatever it was, gone. You're getting boatloads of money. You can do this, and you can get under the tax threshold. Now... You have to be 
you know, look, you're you're gonna take a hit, and you're you're not gonna be third and run scored next year. Okay, you're gonna probably be like eighth. That's fine. Go get Garrett Cole. Go add some bullpen pieces. Build depth. Build the back end of the twenty-five, or the back end even the forty. I think, but it has to be somebody. Who else is the option? Porcello, come on! You're not going to win a World Series. I mean, fine, bet on Porcello. I have no problem with that. But that has to be an ancillary move. Like we're going to put Porcello in there because, frankly, we just can't rely on these other three guys. Or they make the decision that Evaldi's a bullpen guy. So we need not one. We need two starting pitchers. In which case, fine, we go get. We re-sign Porcello, and then we go get a guy like Eric Cole. Now, look, I don't think it's going to happen. The Angels, the Mets, the Stankies, the I mean, we could just name like five more teams that I think would be willing to pay more money for him, frankly. But this is the bold prediction segment, and that's why I went with Eric Cole. I think the Red Sox could get Jake Odorizzi on the same annual value of Porcello's current deal, but they could probably get it, you know, around three years, you know. So that's something I would uh, potentially explore, especially if we're not going to be active in the coal market. But, um, yeah, and here's another thing. If Price does go, I don't want to sign another lefty if we're going to retain sale Price and Erod. It has to be a righty coming in, but... If my bold prediction comes to fruition, you could bring in Madison Bumgarner. He's going to be significantly less than Garrett Cole, and you know, albeit a lefty, I just another option. I think Bumgarner goes to Atlanta. He comes closer to who, uh, closer to home, and Atlanta that may make him uh, more of a trade partner as far as the uh, young pitching talent they have. Uh, for the Betts deal. I, I, I really think that Betts is going to go to the Braves. That's that's my prediction as far as where he goes. I don't see him with the Red Sox next year. I love that. Well, you mentioned Betts just from a pitching standpoint. Like, if you if – you, we're going to get less than what most people think, where there's only one year left. I think the deal for Mookie Betts, the return's going to be a little less – and I'm wondering if you can package in Avoldi with him just to dump the salary. I just, I would do it. I don't know if anybody's going to want to take on Avaldi's or prices. I just think they're overpaid, and nobody's going to really want to grab that. Uh, I think that's tough. I think it's a tough sell to anybody. Well, it's it's Agreed. Th- three years. Let's see, three years, fifty-one million owed to Avoldi at this point. I just what it would come down to in that exact scenario is: do they want Mookie Betts bad enough, and are they confident in their pitching program that they can turn Avoldi into a middle of the rotation guy or a dominant relief arm? Is really what it comes down to. But the the motivation has to be to to land bets. So that, that was my mindset behind that. Well, the thing is, though, they're going to have to sacrifice what they get back in that trade. If, if, if somebody's going to eat Evaldi's, uh, Evaldi's contract, you're not going to get as much back from, from the Braves. So 
you're, you're probably not going to get one of their top pitching prospects, which is what you want at this point. So, I, yeah, I mean, maybe somebody does it, but what you get back in return is going to be minimal at best. Yeah, it was just an idea. You know, I'm trying to free up more salary to kind of make the the Garrett Cole, uh, you know, possibility more realistic. But the the problem is, though, the Red Sox, I mean, you could do that if they had a farm system, but they have no farm system. So they have to kind of rebuild. So they need these young guys, these, these major league ready talent uh, players to come in and uh, – I just don't know if they're going to get that in return if, if they have to eat some contract. They've got some really bad contracts. Let's be honest. The Red Sox are not sitting in a good position across the board. True. Yeah, I just – it was just a thought. It was just a thought. That's, that's what you do when your team is not making the playoffs. You come up with thoughts and uh, not necessarily good ones. Um, so anyway, uh, let's just move on to the weekend series here. Um, uh, if, if you're still trying to get, you know, some baseball and the Red Sox are playing, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, actually, no, I'm a series ahead of myself. Who the hell do they play next? They do play the Rays this weekend, which could be a fun series and it, it could have a lot to say with, uh, you know, what the Rays do. We got the Play Giants. San Francisco. Next. Yeah, that's an interesting series if you're uh, into nostalgia because uh, Yastrzemski's, uh, is it his grandson? Mike? Grandson, yes. Yeah, Mike Yastrzemski, who's having a very good year, right around 20 home runs. Looks is the spitting image of his grandfather. Uh, so, be kind of fun to see. I'm kind of. I kind of wish the Red Sox were were in on him, you know, from a draft standpoint. It would have been so cool, you know. It, but you know, who who knew the type of player he really projected out as? But uh, speaking of Evaldi, he's going up against uh, a guy named Logan Webb, who. Sounds like he could be casted in the uh, Bourne series. Jason Bourne's real name was David Webb. But, uh, yeah, that's where I went with that. Uh, so, Voldy versus uh, Logan Webb. And then uh, Jeff Samarja against Julius Chassin, who's become a very interesting pitcher in the Red Sox rotation as of late so that is in Fenway so not on the west coast any uh, any thoughts on the series yeah why is a Penn State wide receiver pitching for the uh, Giants is that uh, is that who Notre Dame I believe you meant Notre Dame not Penn State all in the same shit programs oh man (laughs) Just wrong. Just wrong. Notre Dame's undefeated. Warn a comment for me. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I love it. He's so butthurt. I love it. He's going to get slapped by Georgia and be all crying this weekend. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's where I'm at with the baseball season. I love baseball. It's uh, my, my, I love it more than any other sport. 
I played it in college. I'm obsessed with it. I'm a nerd about it. I do a podcast about it with two losers. No offense <laughs> to you guys, of course. Uh, just bring on the playoffs. So I, just bring on, I'm sorry you're interrupting my take, Matt. Could you, could you just let me get my thanks? Um, <laughs> I'm getting double freedom rockets on Skype. Um, honestly, just get past these, this happy horse shit and get me to the playoffs where the games matter and I can bet on them again. Because I'm really looking forward to like Yankees Athletics. That's exciting to me. That's yeah. a good series. I can't wait till we preview that, Terry. Um, hopefully, that's just me and you. So we have good good baseball minds on that podcast. Um, you know, Astros versus the Wild Card team. I really think the Astros are the best team. I'm really looking forward to it. So we're gonna trudge through the next couple of weeks. We're gonna, you know, power through it. We're gonna have, we're gonna put some content out there. But at the end of the day. Uh, this giant series is just just doesn't matter. I am looking forward to the race series because I, I do like the implications. You know, the giant series here, we're both going to be on the couch uh, here in a few weeks. So, yeah. And I'll just throw it out there now. I haven't really talked to you guys about it. But uh, the plan uh, for the playoffs is we're going to do two separate preview shows, one for the wild card matchups. And then we'll do a separate one a couple days later for the actual postseason. So uh, I may know a few things about being uh, like maybe the wild card thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna throw that out there right now. Wild card, this guy. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Can I can I describe the ambiguity in the term wild card when it applies to baseball and wild card? Baseball (laughs) means you don't make a regular postseason birth you you have to play into the game and then you if you win that game you go play in the alds real life your wild card is texting you how your day is going and then having no clue what could happen on the other end none (laughs) zero (laughs) that's the good stuff that's a pro right there i'm keeping you hanging it's good i'm good i'm all over this so uh back to the giants red sox series Red Sox win two out of three. That's what my prediction <laughs> yeah. is. Two out of three. Two out of three. Two out of three. And and Jeremy could care less. Like he's moving on. We're on to twenty twenty. I want people to stay healthy. I don't want injuries. Like take every valuable player and go put him in a freezer until next season. This one. Not not not. Wild card is still like. Look, if we can win the last fifteen games, we could back into the second wild card spot. Like this guy can't let it go. <laughs> You're a broken brain, bro. You are a broken brain. We've got this. We just have to go undefeated the rest of the way. I mean, there's a good chance. There's still a chance. You undefeated, you just picked up the win two out of three. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Two this is what you get. Terry, <laughs> I voted against wild card when you, when you hired him, by the way. So just so we're clear. <laughs> he I did. He's not it. even lying. <laughs> <laughs> I I was the wild card guy the whole time. Yeah, nope, nope. It's like this guy can't be trusted. And here we are, 17th podcast later, listening to him try still picking the fucking Red Sox two out of three. What a psycho lunatic! Two out of three, but I think they're going undefeated to win it all. <laughs> two, uh, it's a two game series, but yeah, two out of three. I I flubbed a couple of years ago. I th- I. I said the the ALDS game. <laughs> I said the ALDS game. The Red Sox would win it in six. It's a five game series. But uh, anyway, 
So, all right, we'll we'll wrap it on that note because we're we're getting into the toilet here, and uh, it was a good show for. Uh, I was going to break down Logan Webb right now. Too. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Everybody, the listeners lost right now. That's Terry's call, not mine. Okay. Uh, Logan Webb is a great prospect for the uh, San Francisco Giants. Unfortunate. You'll never know about him. All right. Hey, it was a good one. Twitter, Twitter people. Stop DMing me questions about why Wildcard is on the podcast. That's not my choice. Send notes to at Cushman MLB. That's at Cushman MLB for all your concerns about why Wildcard is on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Hey, good show, guys. Have a good night. All right. Have a good one. Episode 169 in the books. Giants come to town tomorrow, and then we will play the Tampa Bay Rays for the final time, and I think just, what, two more series after that, and then mercifully the uh, 2019 Red Sox series comes to an end. Will be an exciting winter, as I have been talking about, because so many moving parts as far as who you trade, who you sign it's just it'll be a a fun free agency series and um still have to pick the uh general manager uh, or president of ops (laughs) whatever the red sox are looking for right now is definitely broad and open to interpretation so have a uh, good Tuesday and the rest of the week as well. We should be back, let's see, uh, Wednesday evening. So we'll see you then. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he make the catch. He did. He got it. There we go. Time to party. Right here, 3-2. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. 